we have two readings this morning. First of all, I'm reading from the first book of Peter, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, evil, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Then turning to Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 17 to 22. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The motivation for what I want to share with you this morning is really governed by the fact that we've got a church meeting tomorrow where we're going to be looking at where we go spiritually as a church. And I thought it might be useful, therefore, for us to ponder upon what the Bible teaches us is the church. So I want us to begin by thinking about buildings. And some buildings are purely functional, uh, a supermarket, a, a fire station. Some buildings are ornamental, a palace, a stately home perhaps. And of course, there are those buildings that are neither, neither use nor ornament. Um, many modern buildings are what we call purpose-built, 
their design has been directed by their intended function, and the architect produces a plan that will match the intended purpose as best as is possible. But what about our church here at Lum? Is it functional? Is it ornamental? Or is it neither use nor ornament? In truth, I believe that the, our church is actually purpose-built and perfectly designed by the master architect. And of course, here we must deviate from thinking about bricks and mortar and be reminded that as God's people, we are part of the great and magnificent spiritual building known as the Church of Jesus Christ. You see, the church as a building, a perfect building and a purpose-built building is one of the great pictures used by God in his word to describe the relationships between and the purpose of his people. A people gathered together under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, if we read in the Old Testament, we find at the focus the temple building. It was the great focal point for the Jewish people. It was the place of worship. It was the place of atonement where their sins were dealt with. It was a physical focal point. And it was the very place where God would meet with his people through the mediation of the high priest. But as we move on to the New Testament, we notice a clear and distinct shift in emphasis from the physical to the spiritual. No longer an emphasis on a physical building, the temple, but rather on the spiritual building, where Jesus himself uh, prophesied the future church. Um, and he did this in terms of a building. He said, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. But turning to our two readings this morning, we observe that both Peter in his first letter and Paul in his letter to the Ephesians, they both describe the church as a building, a purpose-built building, and also a building that has distinct and important features. So first of all, what I would like us to do is to discover something of the nature of the foundation of this building. Now, Paul writes this. He says, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. The foundation, therefore, is described in terms of the apostles and prophets, and it's their message which is the foundation the apostles preached the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and the prophets pointed the way to the coming Messiah, both indeed directing us to Jesus Christ, who Paul also describes as the cornerstone. In fact, not only the cornerstone, but the chief cornerstone, which of course is the most important stone of the foundation upon which the building will be constructed. 
And Peter also makes reference to two Old Testament quotations. Uh, His verse 6 is actually a quotation from Isaiah. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Isaiah himself prophesied to this precious cornerstone who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Psalm 118, which is verse 7 of uh, Peter's letter there, uh, he quotes from this psalm, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Again, that early reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the foundation of this perfect building, which symbolizes the church, has nothing less than Christ himself as the cornerstone. The cornerstone supports the rest of the building. Indeed, the very strength, the very stability of the building is completely dependent upon the cornerstone of the foundation. And also it is the cornerstone that in turn aligns the rest of the stones of which the building is constructed. Are you beginning to see the picture of the church in this vivid image? The foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. It is he who both supports and directs the church. Indeed, the church can only be characteristic of its foundation. The cornerstone then defines the character of the rest of the building. Such is the clarity of this great image that God has given us in his word of the church described in terms of a building. But this is no ordinary building. It is a perfect building because it's built on a perfect foundation. Uh, Remember that parable of the wise and foolish builders that uh, Jesus told? And part of what he said in his narrative was this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. And of course elsewhere, Jesus Christ is described as the rock of our foundation. He's the cornerstone of this glorious building that is the church. The cornerstone is of fundamental importance. Take it away and the building crumbles and falls. Remove that rock and the building supported merely by sand will fall with a great crash. But you know there's something else about the cornerstone of the church building. And that is that it is a unique stone. Indeed no other stone will do. Only Jesus Christ is able to provide the foundation for the church. And Paul is quite clear about this when he writes in his letter to the Corinthians. And he says this, he says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And uh, that's a salutary thought, because we live today in an age when this very truth is constantly challenged. And the Christian church, as ever, is labelled as arrogant whenever we dare to suggest that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. 
However, in this picture of the church with Jesus Christ as the only cornerstone, it is quite emphatic that Jesus is unique. He is the only one who can be our Lord and Saviour. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So in summary, there is only one church. There is only one true church, and it's not the Baptists. Neither is it the Methodists, nor the Brethren, not even the mighty Church of England, or indeed any particular denomination. Because the true test of a true church is simply this. Does its foundation rest exclusively on Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ, is he acknowledged as the cornerstone upon which the whole church is built? But the the Bible also warns us, of course, that the world will in general reject Jesus Christ. This is something we should expect. expect. The, the very stone selected and chosen by God to be the foundation and cornerstone of the church, we're told, um, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. So God has chosen the only stone that will do the job. The stone described by Paul as the chief cornerstone which is the same stone described here by Peter as the precious stone. So there's perhaps an even more fundamental test of the one true church. And that is this. Does that church proclaim Jesus Christ as precious? And of course there's a logical follow-on from that because we can ask ourselves the same question. Is Jesus Christ precious to me? Is Jesus Christ so precious that he occupies the focal point of our lives? Do we truly value Jesus Christ? Is he the constant object of our gratitude and our praise? And do we seek to put Jesus Christ first in all things? For to do those things is actually to hold Jesus Christ as precious. Is Jesus Christ precious to me? Is he also precious to you? For the scripture says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. And so we thought about this perfect foundation where Jesus Christ is the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone, the precious stone chosen by God. And we move on to consider how God builds his church upon that foundation. And here we would go to uh, Paul's uh, letter to the Ephesians and a section that we read. Um, You are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, 
the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And that's a tremendous thought if you really delve into what's being said there. And of course, Peter confirms that also. He says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now here we have an extension of our picture of the building. We have the picture of the church comprising many stones, stones that are described here as living stones, stones that are built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, and stones, therefore, that will conform to the character of the cornerstone. And what we see here is a picture of a building that is yet to be completed. For there is still room for more stones to be added. And yet, there's a fantastic paradox here, because although it's a building that is incomplete, it is still fully functional. Now, sometimes we hear these horror stories of people who've booked on foreign holidays, and they've arrived at this wonderful hotel facade, which is simply a facade in front of a building site. The pool is unfinished, the restaurant's not yet open, and there is that continuous drone of the construction site. What a disaster to uh, book on a holiday like that. An incomplete hotel is useless. And what a contrast, though, that we have here with the building that is the church. Though there are yet more stones to be added, it is fully functional. And what's more, there is no room in the church of Jesus Christ for loose stones and rubble. For each stone that makes up the church of Jesus Christ has been carefully chosen. Each believer hears the call of God to come and be part of and to be integrated into the church. That's the way people are saved. That's the way people come in. And you know, each new stone is placed exactly to add to the overall glory of the holy temple in the Lord. And once placed, the stone is held in place never to be removed. That's what we call assurance. If you've been integrated into that great church building, then God wants you to stay there forever. Fully bonded to the cornerstone who is Jesus Christ. But these stones are built in such a way that they may function together with their firm foundation in Jesus Christ. And it's a tremendous privilege when we think that we are living stones chosen by God for a purpose and we're integrated into Christ's church in exactly the place where he wants us to be. And that's, again, a thought that we need to dwell upon, that actually we are where we are because God wants us to be where we are. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. 
And so this means that the only basis of membership within this church is Jesus Christ. It's not some kind of human organization. We are the living stones that are united through our common union with Jesus Christ, our cornerstone. But we should be greatly encouraged as well, because you and I were not chosen for the native quality of the stone that we represent. We do not need to be perfectly flawless rock to become welcome stones within this building, which is God's church in Jesus Christ. And Peter reminds us of this, uh, and he reminds us that we've each come from humble beginnings. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And that is true for all of us. Not one of us can boast that we were particularly good stones. That's why God chose us. We're here because God wants to make our stones better. And so we can only be built into this perfect building on the basis of Jesus Christ. And that means we can only come as we are because he does all the rest for us. So all are welcome and all are of equal value. So if in some wild way you feel that you are not a very precious stone, um, please be reminded we are all of equal value in this wonderful church building. Each one of us has a unique place and each one of us is uniquely loved by God. God wants us to be here and he wants us to be where we are. And it's God through Jesus then who deals with those imperfections that we all have. And Peter, therefore, has described us as living stones because we are being changed and transformed day by day and more by more, simply so that we, we may reflect the perfection of our cornerstone, who is Jesus Christ. Indeed, he says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And it's through what Jesus achieved on the cross that every believer is part of that holy priesthood. Remember in the Old Testament, it was only the priest who had direct access to God. And now, today, in complete contrast, in this spiritual house comprised of living stones... Every single believer through Jesus Christ has that privilege of priesthoods. Every one of us is a priest in the sense that we are all priests in the church. That means simply this. We each have direct access to our Father God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That means we can come to God at any time of any day in prayer knowing that we can talk to God and listen to him without the need of a human priest to go in between. Every believer has personal, immediate access to God. And that's part of what it means to be built and integrated into this great church building. But also every believer ministers to each other and has a vital role to play in building that holy temple in the Lord. And although, of course, 
our salvation for each one of us is personal, our integration into God's church is corporate. It's not possible to exist as a stone in isolation. What use would be a stone in isolation anyway? Paul says, in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So we've thought about the foundation, the cornerstone, and we've thought about being living stones built into that structure and integrated into it. But finally, let's ask ourselves simply, what is the purpose of this building which is composed of living stones built upon that solid foundation of Jesus Christ? What is, what is our purpose? Well, of course, there are many different purposes and maybe we could have a whole series of sermons on purpose. But there are just three that I'd like us to think about this morning. And the first purpose is that we are to be a growing building to house yet more of God's people. We are to be a growing building. We've already discussed that the church is composed of living stones, of active believers who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that form the very dwelling place of God by his spirit. And how awesome is that? And in a sense, a very real sense, the church is therefore a model of heaven, a chosen, redeemed people, made holy through Jesus Christ, built together on the foundation of Jesus Christ and directed by his perfect character and living stones that are being transformed into the likeness of him who is our cornerstone. We are members of the perfect church with Jesus Christ as our foundation and cornerstone. We are members of God's household. And because we are members of God's household, we're part of that great family then we might also describe ourselves as ambassadors of Jesus Christ while we live on this world. It is therefore our privilege to tell others the good news of the gospel and to seek to bring yet more stones to be integrated into the building. Now Paul speaks of this ambassadorial role in his second letter to the Corinthians. He said, therefore, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Let's just digress for a moment. Did you know you've all got beautiful feet? I hear some of you say, obviously you've not seen mine. Well, I'll tell you, you've not seen mine either. But I repeat, you all have beautiful feet. Even I've got beautiful feet. Um, Paul writes to the Romans and he says, everyone who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So I'd simply say this, let's use our beautiful feet and as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, let each one of us preach to those who need to hear the gospel. And I really want to be absolutely certain about this, preaching is not standing up in a pulpit. Yes, it's part of it, but primarily and fundamentally, 
preaching is simply about being an ambassador of Jesus Christ, speaking on his behalf, commending the Lord Jesus to others, speaking of the joy of salvation that we experience, being kind and loving in what is a lonely and frightening world for so many people. That's what preaching's really about. And you know, we should be on a recruitment drive. We should be recruiting new living stones to be joined into that building. So let's just be active in seeking God's kingdom in this way and serving uh, as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, being willing to be used by him to draw in yet more living stones so that the building, the kingdom of God, may one day reach its intended completion. Briefly, the second purpose, I think, of the church is simply this, to be holy. And what does to be holy mean? It simply means that we are set aside for God's use. And holy means that we are to be like Jesus Christ. It's an activity directed by God, but for which we too have a responsibility. How we behave, what we say, what we do, these things all matter. Our standards and our actions should reflect the nature of our cornerstone. And you know what ambassadors are like. They are very careful in the things that they do and say. Well, generally speaking, they are. Because they have that responsibility to reflect the organization of which they are part. And we, too, are called to be holy so that we reflect the holiness of our cornerstone. And God has given us his word as the great source book of holiness and he's given us Jesus Christ as the touchstone against which we can compare all we do and all that we say and all that we are. And we do this together. It's not an isolated thing. The local fellowship, our coming together in prayer, our shared study of God's word is the very means by which God directs us and transforms us as those living stones that we might be more holy. And of course we are called to be holy, um, as Peter says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. And the final purpose, and this of course is the greatest purpose of the church, and that is to glorify our Heavenly Father. You know, we glorify God simply by being a living stone redeemed by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we do nothing else, we bring glory because we have been saved by Jesus. And our lives have been directed to conform with Jesus Christ, our cornerstone. And that in its own sense will glorify God. Whenever we reflect the kindness and love of of the Lord Jesus Christ in this world, we will bring glory to our Heavenly Father. When we are active as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, encouraging others to believe the gospel and nurturing folks to become those living stones in the building that is the church of Jesus Christ, then we bring glory to God. And let us never forget, let us never take it for granted. You know, to be a living stone in the building that is the church of Jesus Christ is a tremendous privilege and it's a wonderful joy to have received salvation and to know that you are a living stone 
is absolutely amazing. And it should transform our lives in such a way that our whole purpose becomes to live for Jesus Christ and thereby bring glory to God. Indeed, every moment of our lives, there is an opportunity to worship and to praise the God who loves us. And let us never forget that. To be a living stone is to already be participating in God's household. And in that sense, we've already had the privilege of entering the realm of heaven. That seems a very strange thing, but it's actually true. The church of Jesus Christ is transforming the world we live in. It cannot fail, and one day Jesus will return to transport his church to heaven forever. And we will reign as co-heirs with Jesus Christ in the very presence of God forever. The church today is our foretaste of heaven tomorrow. And that surely is reason enough to want for each of us to bring glory to God at every opportunity. So let us for now rest upon the cornerstone, the foundation of the building of which we are living stones integrated into Jesus Christ and joined to each other and let us together give God the glory. Amen.